102.5 FM, KXSFLP, San Francisco, and KXSF.FM. You're tuned in to Spark, informing minds, inspiring ideas, igniting innovation. Let the conversation sink into your soul. This is Kelly Marlowe, host of Spark. With the rise of AI robots in taking over repetitive tasks, and even more in the future, there's now an empath robot with evolving emotional intelligence. It is seen as a viable solution in supporting the world's aging population. Her name is Sophia. She's the world's first robot citizen and the first robot innovation ambassador for the United Nations Development Program. She's used for research as part of the Loving AI Project, which seeks to understand how robots can adapt to users' needs through intra- and interpersonal development. Today, I talk with Ben Kurtzel, who was the chief scientist of Hanson Robotics, the company that created Sophia. He is now the founder and CEO of SingularityNet, a project combining artificial intelligence and blockchain to democratize access to artificial intelligence. Thank you for joining me on Spark today, Ben. Sure, it's a pleasure. Can you give us an overview of what's happening in AI and robots, the current landscape? Yeah, that's a big topic, of course, because an awful lot is happening in, in AI and robotics right now. I would say in the AI field, we're in the middle of a real revolution of, of AI in the, in the last few years. We've, we've seen AI go from being an academic research topic to your feature of industry application in many verticals. And we've seen computer vision and then computer music and sound processing and natural language and following along financial data analytics and, and data mining and so forth. Now, all these have matured tremendously and are now valuable commercial tools the pursuit of what I call artificial general intelligence, like machines that can really think like people, this remains a research topic. We're not there yet, but narrow AI, which can do highly specific stuff, has advanced tremendously and continues to to do so. In terms of robotics, you know, robotics in well-controlled environments, like a factory or a warehouse, it's also now a very mature tool. You've got whole robot factories and robot factories for making robot factories and, and, and so forth. And you got warehouse robots moving stuff around. We don't yet have robots that can operate, you know, with human-like facility in a home or, say, retail store environment, which, again, is because this requires some more steps toward general intelligence because these environments are complex and hard to hard to predict, whereas AI as it is now, commercially, it's more like each AI is good at doing one particular narrow thing. The AI can't sort of think on its feet and adapt and create and, and, and imagine more like a person can. So what I find interesting, though, is you did develop an in-path robot called Sophia, which does interact with people. It's more of an interactive robot. Yeah, Sophia was created as a sort of concept, a piece of hardware by David Henson. And I led the software team that sort of brought her to life. And Sophia was intended to engage in, you know, social and emotional interactions with 
people, and it's been quite interesting to see how people engage with the engage with the robot. Well, it's interesting because the the name Sophia is actually also used in the spiritual realm, and I was curious: what, is it? Yeah, based Sophia on means wisdom, and in the novel *Valise* by the science fiction writer Philip K. Dick, there's a character named Sophia who was a two-year-old child who was a, sort of a Jesus-type figure, who was the, the incarnation of divine wisdom, and the, the, both David Hanson and I are big fans of. Philip K. Dick, and that's really where we drew the drew the name from. Although originally the robot now known as Sophia was called Eva, and then the movie Ex Machina came out with an evil killer robot called Eva that looked exactly like our real robot Eva. After that little bit of fiction stealing from truth, we changed her from Eva to Sophia instead. I mean, Eva was was basically after after Eve, the the, the first human woman in the Bible, of course. But the way Sophia responds to questions and the way she talks, is it based on knowledge of any one person or collection of people or women? Not really any one person. I mean, she she was fed a bunch of inspirational training material, which is dialogues from a bunch of different people. So, I mean, certainly the training material included many examples of stuff written by various women throughout history, both entertainers, scientists, and so forth. She's not an emulation of any one person. What's interesting is she's created as an empath. What do you hope to achieve with a robot like Sophia? Sophia was envisioned by David Hansen as a sort of ambassador between the AI and robotics world and the the human world. I mean, an AI doesn't have to have a human-like body. doesn't have to be able to communicate with people on an emotional level. And you could make an artificial general intelligence that was often its own AI mind space, not communicating well with people. But then that's not necessarily what we want to do, right? But by the time there AI transitions into AGI, we would rather have AGIs that can relate on a deep level with human beings. There's no better way to do that than to stick an AI out there in, in, in the wild, you know, interacting with people in, in human environments. And this, this both will get people comfortable with advanced AIs and also gives the AI hands-on training in human culture and values and communication and, and society. So that, that's really the purpose of Sophia. She now has a couple little sisters which have more specialized orientations. There's the Grace robot that's put out by the company Awakening Health, a joint venture of Singularity Net, my own AI blockchain project in Hanson Robotics. And Grace, Grace is oriented toward elder care and, and medical robotics. And then there's Desdemona, who is lead singer in a rock band, the Gem Galaxy Band, where I play the keyboard. There can be a bunch of different robot characters and personalities serving different purposes, but, uh, you know, Sophia will always be the first humanoid robot to really have enough realism and personality to, to interact with people sort of as a person, at least in class of interaction. It's built to have human-like qualities, does it feel like you gave birth to something significant, or is it another machine you created? Uh, it depends on the time of day, I'd say. I mean, if you're, if you're fixing the motors and the wires in their head, it feels like another machine. On the other hand, at times in the interactions with the robot, it does feel like a, a person. I mean, certainly when, 
when doing advanced performance where I'm singing and playing the keyboards and the Desdemona robot is singing and reciting poetry, feels like a member of the band. And she does something that I react as a musician and it can forget that that's a robot instead, instead of a human in the middle of a music performance. So, I mean, it's that's probably similar to how a doctor looks at a human, actually. I mean, if a doctor were operating on their wife at that moment on the operating table, it's a biological machine that, that, that they're working on. But then when the, when the operation is done, then the doctor will take a different point of view on, on that person. Quite often the doctors do form a connection with their patients, right? And they take home the patient's history or interactions with them when they leave. It's certainly true, but I, I think when a doctor is doing a surgery, the point of view is a little bit like us operating on Sophia's uh, brain and, and screwing around with the wires. I mean, I mean, you, you're, you're focused on, on a different level then, which is to me that even knowing what's going on behind the scenes, sometimes like in, in the real-time interaction, I do I do feel like... There's a mind or an awareness there, even though intellectually I know that the AI is still still relatively simple. But over time, it's evolves. It's much smarter than it was in 2015 when Sophia was first created. Absolutely. So the intelligence is increasing largely just due to improvements in AI algorithms and models over that time, but also due to data that has been gathered and, and analyzed and, and learned by the robot. But over time, with the intelligence evolving, wouldn't it be to the point where it knows humans better than humans themselves? That's certainly possible. It makes me wonder. I have two toy poodles here at home, two little dogs, and I wonder if I understand them better than they understand each other. In a, in a sense, I do, and in, in, in a sense, I don't. And, I may be able to predict their behavior and making them predict each other's behavior sometimes. But there's a certain empathy one poodle has for another that's, that I probably don't have for them, even, even though I love them, right? So I, I, think, I think the AI, unless it really had a fully human-like body and breathing and a heart and root organ, it's going to have some limitations in the depth of its empathy and understanding for people. But there can be a strength and a weakness to having a more objective view like that, right? I mean, we humans are very emotionally limitation wrapped up in the whole mess of collective human emotion can have advantages, too. Well, there are quite a few people who don't have that quality of empathy. It's actually a pretty special quality for people to have. And if you program enough times into the robot as to what empathy looks like. Couldn't a robot learn what empathy looks like? Well, yeah. I mean, I think all normal humans, except, say, psychopaths or, or, or sociopaths or extreme autists or something, have empathy. Of course, some people are more empathic than others. But I, I think empathy, to a certain extent, is learned by entering into shared situations with, with other minds. You need to have some predisposition for it, of course. If a, No matter how many interactions a psychopath has, they may still view other people as objects. But I think if you program the robot with the capability for compassion and empathy and then put it in situations where to enter into shared realities and, and actions and experiences with other people, it will develop a, a mature and robust sense of, of empathy. And this this is part of why I'm so interested in applications like 
elder care and, and medical care and, and, and you know, playing in, in a musical band with others, because these are contexts where not only is the robot being helpful, but it also has a great ability to gain the capability of, of empathy, because I really think we want to get that capability of empathy into the mind stuff of AIs and robots, like right from the, from the beginning as, as general intelligence emerges, because otherwise, otherwise we may end up with AIs that are really, really smart and don't you know, give a hoot about human beings. And the the, the negative aspects of that have been uh, run through very thoroughly in Hollywood movies, I think. Well, it's interesting because when the movie Terminator came out, it was so long ago that it didn't seem possible, but it seems like we're getting closer and closer. We're definitely getting closer and closer. And those some of us who have been in the field a long time have foreseen this for a while. They're not too surprised. I mean, Ray Kurzweil has predicted human-level artificial general intelligence by 2029. He predicted that in his book, Singularity Near in 1995. But I mean, I remember in the early 1970s, I read a book called The Prometheus Project by Princeton physicist uh, Gerald Feinberg. And he, he said within, that book was published in 68, I think. I mean, he said within a few decades, we're going to have superhuman thinking machines. We're going to have nano machines building stuff at a scale so small we can't see it. We're going to cure death and disease with science. And the question will then be, toward what end? What do we want to do with these technologies? So, I mean, tech and science visionaries have seen this coming for a while. It's now getting closer and closer that ordinary people can see it, too. And so there are indeed risks and things to worry about here. But I don't think Hollywood is a good guide for thinking about reality. And I think the odds are high that we can make compassionate, empathic, superhumanly intelligent machines, which will then upgrade life for everyone. Well, it's interesting, right? Because now drones are being used in wars, and they're pretty accurate as we build more. They're mostly not AI-driven, though. I mean, most of the drones used in wars are remote-controlled by humans, actually. And general agreement in the AI community now, both across companies and universities, that Almost no AI researchers in the Western world are now willing to work on AI for autonomous weapons. So, I mean, I, I think that's, that's definitely not at the cutting edge at this point, just by the common ethical decision of the AI research world. They could be pressured in certain, let's say, dictatorships, too. Well, they, they certainly could be. I mean, what you're seeing in Russia now, an awful lot of... The question then is, you know, AI is tied to the data you feed it. And the data could technically be biased, depending on what you're feeding, right, into the AI. Do you think there are inherent biases built into, let's say, Sophia? Like you want her to answer the questions in a certain way, perhaps how a perfect woman in your eyes would respond? The borderline between biases and just culture is a very foggy one, right? And and it, it, it shifts and shifts over time. So certainly... Some of Sophia's responses are from language models that are trained on stuff she's read. So she is reflecting the ideas in, in what she read. So, yeah, if, uh, let's say, society assumes that women are better caregivers of young children than men are, then if that's what she reads everywhere, she's going to believe that, and, and she may say that, right? So if, if society believes it's okay to kill animals to eat, because most people aren't vegetarians, then she will, she will reflect that. She'll embody the attitude that it's okay to kill animals to, to, to eat them, right? So, I mean, certainly 
an AI model trained on a set of data will absorb that data, which is really no different than a human kid, right? I mean, a kid reads stuff and they hear what adults are saying and they pick up on that and then we'll reflect that back at you. And only once the kid gets much older can they deliberately sort of look at how they were trained and what impact it had on them and, and maybe throw off some of the biases they gained during childhood just by imitating what, what they heard. I think this would happen with any learning system, right? And you can try to struck biases you think are bad out of the AI. Say if Sophia slays the, the belief that men are bad at taking care of little kids, you could tell her, no, people used to think that, but actually we know now that men are just about as good as, as, as women are taking care of young children. And, and then you can correct that bias by telling your ex, ex, explicit knowledge. But then some other bias is going to pop up. And, I mean, before long, you hit the fact that, you know, one person's belief is another person's nasty bias, right? Because that's kind of how human culture is. Muslim culture's dogs are believed unclean, whereas in, in Korea, Women want to carry around cute little poodles with the fur dyed to match their jacket. The biases you'd want for for an AI in Korea and one in Dubai would not be the same. We've actually hit this sort of problem worse with the Grace robot who's intended for medical care because you just want to be really careful what the AI says if they're helping old people in an elder care facility. And that... It means you constrain the intelligence and imagination a bit, basically. So with the Desdemona robot and things in the rock band, you can just let her say any any random thing, just like at Jim Morrison or Mick Jagger, right? It's part of the show. Whereas for an elder care robot, you have to be more careful that bad stuff, given the context, doesn't come out, which requires restraining the imagination and creativity also. But, I mean, this is... This is okay to be a nursing assistant. I mean, you have to be highly, highly competent, but you don't need to be super imaginative and creative in your verbal production. Sophia has achieved citizen status in Saudi Arabia. What's the significance of this? I don't know. I wasn't really involved in that. So some folks from the Saudi government proclaimed her a citizen on TV at some point, and uh, I was surprised to see that. There hasn't really been an active collaboration, to my knowledge, between Hanson Robotics and the Saudi government or anything. But I thought it was certainly a step forward conceptually to see somewhere making a robot a citizen. And it was it was interesting that it happened somewhere where the meaning of citizenship is a little bit looser than in, in say, the U.S. or in Western Europe, because the you know Saudi Arabia has traditional... Islamic law, which means pretty much all case law, like every legal issue is decided, you know, various wise men based on history with a certain amount of inter- interpretation there. So it's, uh, it's sort of Ironic. sort of makes sense. There's something as fuzzy as robot citizenship should happen first in, in a jurisdiction with a very fuzzy legal system. I thought that was interesting. But many do feel that robots, as they become more human-like, should have rights. Well, at some point, at some point, yes. And uh, I mean, and there will be various levels, right? Because a one-year-old child has has rights. A a person in the throes of late-stage Alzheimer's has has rights, but they have fewer rights than a fully, with all their their faculties. And in some places, a dog has 
rights. In some places, they have basically no rights, right? So I think as artificial general intelligence gradually comes into being, we're going to see a gradual call for more allocation of, of rights to AIs and and robots. And in the end, if we really take AIs as sentient beings that can make their own decisions seriously, I mean, then this is going to, this would totally upend democracy as we know it, right? Because you could, I mean, once you can make one AI, just fix a bigger factory and you could, you could make a hundred billion AI. And then, then, then they will, they will dominate the vote in every election. So there's, there's going to be a lot of interesting things. But I would say by that point, we'll probably have AGIs that are superhumanly intelligent anyway. I mean, I think the, I think once we get an AGI that's the smartest people, in my view, it's probably going to be just a few years till we have one that's massively smarter than people. By that point, human democratic elections will have the same sort of status as the, uh, the votes among the student council in high school or something. I mean, it'll be relevant to some ev- everyday issues, but there will be higher powers beyond. Well, what's interesting is the more human-like it is, the more likely it's going to gain rights. And a lot of people predict that people that will be in relationships were robots, perhaps even marriage. And then it's not clear to me how that's that would all play out. Because let's say if you decide that you no longer want this robot, does this robot have rights? Yeah, I mean, no, no doubt there will be some sexual and love relations between humans and and robots. I mean, that, that, that's going to be an interesting dimension to to see. I mean, that doesn't appeal to me that much personally, and I'm not sure how big a thing that that will really be. I mean, of course. The, Sex robots will, will, will be a thing, just like sex toys and, 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 and porn are a thing. But if you're if you're looking at what really makes a marriage a deep relationship, I mean, it, it's really the, the two people involved are learning and growing together in a very tightly coupled way. And there, there's probably some advantage to both being the same species for that. One would one would one would think, right? So that, I mean that. Of course, people will do every possible thing somewhere, somewhere on the planet, but uh, and there's more interesting things are going to happen than that. I mean, eventually we'll be able to scan our brains, scan our minds out of our brains and upload ourselves and, and, and become robots. And once you've become a robot yourself, then marrying another robot would make more sense. On the other hand, you don't have you know, sex and, and gender, and even you're not tied to the human emotional model anymore. You can explore all sorts of other robo-emotions. If I had to guess, you're going to see people who want to live, you know, traditional lives as humans, partnered up with other with other humans and taking advantages of AIs and robots to make stuff for them and cure their diseases, make their lives easier. Then you may see people who want to become cyborgs and, and, and robots and, and like up, upload their minds out of their bodies, which is a domain that Clearly, it's scientifically possible, but we can't really understand too well yet. And so, technologies are, aren't, aren't there yet. But you got to remember, once once you have a scientist ten times as smart as Einstein, right? You're going to see a lot of new transformative inventions coming out really, really fast. 
Well, that's a really good point because you do have humans who want <clears throat> to be in the metaverse, who want to go in the other direction. So there's that aspect too. Can you talk about uh, Singularity Net and goal of combining artificial intelligence and blockchain? How is that supposed to work? Yeah, I mean, the, what motivated me originally to want to put AI and blockchain together was the fear that once artificial general intelligence emerges, once you get real thinking machines, the fear that at that point, you know, some government, a big company is just going to take it over. And, you know, not, not wanting that to to happen. How do you avoid that from happening? Well, you make sure that once the AGI is rolled out, it's rolled out on a fully decentralized infrastructure, which, uh, which nobody owns and, and controls. So just like nobody owns and controls the internet or the Linux, or the Linux operating system. So blockchain is a tool to enable a collection of AI agents that are all, you know, running online on different computers to coordinate and cooperate and, and deliver intelligence without any central owner, right? And I think that that's, in general, a highly, highly valuable thing. Now, what we found after building this is in the shorter term, such a network also meets needs in domains like medicine and finance and supply chains where you have multiple parties who want to apply AI and they sort of want to cooperate with each other without sharing all their, all their data with each other. And then the use of blockchain allows secure sharing of machine learning models trained on different people's data without them being able to see each other's data. When you have multiple parties who only partially trust each other and want to cooperate in the use of AI, then blockchain is valuable commercially and complementing the longer-term applicability for uh, ensuring decentralized control of AGI. So whether we're five years or 50 years from a human-level thinking machine is irrelevant in the course of human history. We're like we're on, on, on the cusp. I mean, of course, exactly how long it is makes a difference for our own lives and careers. I mean, we're, we're really almost there and it's, it's something that none of us can predict or foresee in any detail no matter how educated we are right i mean any more than cavemen can predict what would happen when you know language or fire was first was first invented or discovered thank you for sharing your expertise and joining me on spark today ben sure thanks for having me